just some awesome things. So, hey, uh, welcome everybody. My name is Prentice. I get the privilege to be the lead pastor here. Uh, and again, if you're new or, or if we've never met, uh, please come say hi to me at the Connect table after service. I would love uh, to meet you and get to know you. Uh, and uh, as you walked in, you received a Connect card. Again, this is our uh, biggest way to get to know that you were here. And so if you have any prayer requests, and that goes for everybody. If you have any prayer requests, please write that down. Uh, as um, our staff, every week we pray over those cards. And so just know and be confident that you will uh, be prayed for. Uh, and so, again, there's ways you can get involved as well. Uh, but this week we kick off this new series uh, called With. And I know we've been talking about this idea of with a lot. Uh, but with is so relevant to the idea of what Christmas is all about. Uh, and this morning we're going to unpack this idea of, of what it means uh, when the Bible talks about uh, the incarnation of, of God. And so that's kind of a big word. We'll unpack that in just a moment. But I just want to set the stage a little bit. Uh, I know year after year when we talk about Advent, uh, some of you may either be new to the church or some of you uh, may not be familiar with more uh, of a liturgical language like Advent, uh, but Advent, it just comes from a Latin word called Adventus, uh, and there's different ways to, to define Adventus, but it really means this idea of anticipation and arrival. And so it's a season of preparing ourselves, our hearts, our minds, our lives uh, for the arrival of Christ. Uh, of course, uh, Christ has come, uh, Christ has died, Christ has resurrected, uh, but yet we celebrate year after year the day that Jesus was born to a baby, to enter into human history, and so that may change our lives forevermore. And so I'm excited for, for Advent. Uh, in the Protestant calendar, it's four Sundays before Christmas. Uh, so this morning is our first Sunday of, of Advent. And what a beautiful morning it is. And I'm so thankful we get to talk about both ends of the spectrum, that there's joy in Advent, there's lament in Advent, and in the Christian world, uh, through the economy of Christ, lament and joy can be in the same room holding hands, and many of us are experiencing that this morning. And so, uh, with that said, let me just go to our verse, we'll pray and we'll get to work. Uh, the word of the Lord says this in John uh, chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in, mind, what, uh, in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shined in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. And we're going to go down to verse uh, 14. It says this, And the word became flesh. The word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. And one thing I want to read to you, and I've read this before, is the message version of uh, 1.14. I love this. I love this. It says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes in one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, 
Generous inside and out, true from start to finish. I love the word became flesh. This, this word that we just read about in verse 1 through 5, whatever that word is, it came to flesh and moved in to the neighborhood. And may that bring hope for us this morning. Let's pray real quick. God, thank you that you are the word and you have moved in to the neighborhood, to our lives, to our hearts, to our circumstances, the good, the bad, and everything in between. In your presence, your presence changes our lives, transforms us into hope, into joy. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, I remember my very first sermon that I've ever gave was back in 2004. Uh, and when I say sermon, really, uh, we call it talk. So I was involved when I was a college student. I was involved in Young Life. Uh, and many of you guys are familiar with Young Life. You should be because we partner with Young Life. And so, and many of you guys may have been a part of Young Life or, or maybe not, but I know that you have heard it around here. But it's a ministry that I was involved in, not only as a high school student, but even as uh, a student at Seattle Pacific University. Go Falcons. Okay, thank you. And uh, during my time at SPU, I volunteered uh, at Shoreline, in Shoreline Young Life, Shorewood High School, uh, Young Life. I, and I remember it was my time as a volunteer leader uh, to give the, the talk. And if you're familiar with Young Life, there's a series of talks where there's, uh, you know, the, 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 the sin talk. We call it the sin talk, like what is sin about? The, and then this new life talk, what it means to give your life to Jesus and, and salvation talk. So there's these, these series of, of talks or sermons or whatever you want to call it. In uh, my turn was to give the, the sin talk. Uh, and it's the classic, you know, we're all born uh, with brokenness. And that there is a, a, a separation between us and God. But, but the good news is that there is a Jesus who died on the cross to bridge that gap between us and God. And so it was my turn to give that talk. And I just remember it was my first talk ever. I got up on stage and I remember just how much I rehearsed and studied and, and, and put in so much prep work. And I got up to the stage and, and I was doing okay until I wasn't. I got, I got nervous, I was stumbling over my words, I was sweating, I was turning bright red, and I got to uh, the, the pinnacle of the talk, which is the sin part, and I remember panicking, it was some kind of nervous breakdown, I don't know what it was, but I literally, I kid you not, the students that were there that I'm still mentoring and walking alongside with will remember this as well, that I just said, okay, let's pray, and then I got off the stage as quick as possible. We didn't get to the hopeful part. I'm hoping uh, by now that that part has been filled in for them. Uh, but I just remember just running off stage, and that was my first sermon ever. And, and then I recapped with the area director, the director of Young Life Shoreline at the time. Uh, and as I was debriefing, I, I told the director, I said, okay, <clears throat> well, I guess preaching is not for me. Well, I guess ministry is not for me. Well, I guess young life is actually not for me. And I'll never, ever forget his response. He said uh, something like this. He says, Prentice, it's not about you. It's not about 
the talks that you give. It's not about your skills. It's not, your, not about your abilities. It's not about your merit. Friends, it's just not about you. What Young Life is about is our motto. And the motto is this. We meet kids where they're at. And if you've ever been around Young Life and even youth ministry, this is a very kind of popular phrase. Uh, but at the time, especially, and still meaningful, but even at the time, it was so radical to me. We meet kids where they're at. And it was that conversation that compelled me to stay and to really discover what it means to just meet kids, meet people, meet others where they are at. For me, it meant showing up for them in significant moments of their lives, like birthdays, sporting events, music performances and plays and family crises. And then going to coffees and, and lunches where they enjoyed. So believe me, I had a lot of Taco Bell during that season of my life. Maybe some of you guys are still there, which is great. No judgment, because it's, it's good. Okay, I'll keep going. I meant becoming a chauffeur for a homecoming dance for the freshman class because I was slightly cooler than their parents and their minivan. But it was deeper than that. It meant being fully present without judgment and condemnation. Wherever they were at in life, whatever they were going through, whatever struggles and trials, temptations, uh, whatever things they were going through, it would be meaning uh, we would enter into that space without judgment, without condemnation. It would be about loving them no matter their history, no matter what they would bring to the table or not bring to the table for that matter. It meant entering into their darkness and mess and just be their friend. See, ultimately, the motto of of meeting people where they're at was simply this. It was simply becoming the presence of Christ. I mean, isn't that the Christian message? To become the presence of Christ everywhere you go, the love of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, the hospitality of Christ, the generosity of Christ, whatever, and all the characteristics that God embodied through the person of Jesus, it's part of the Christian discipline that we would emulate that every room that we walk into, every door that we go through, every person that we encounter, that we would be the presence of Christ. But I would argue that the only way that we can do this faithfully is to understand this, is that we can only offer the presence of Christ because Christ was offered to us first. That we can only emulate and be Christ and offer Christ to others because we first have been transformed by God's love through the person of Jesus. And as that byproduct, we're able to present that to others. This is the heart of why, even we, why we even celebrate Christmas. You see, it's not just about gifts. It's not about the perfect Christmas cards. It's not about uh, the eating, eating meals and singing carols. And, and, on, and, and although those are, those are all good things, and I'll even do this. My wife and I, will we'll do this on our family. We'll do this. But above all else, the story of Christmas is about believing Truly believe, not just having knowledge of, but truly having faith in God through Jesus coming to earth to be with us, to teach us, to model for us the best way to live, 
to truly believe that's what Jesus did as Jesus was born into our lives, this earth. And then to ultimately die, then to defeat sin and death, and to experience transformation along with the resurrected Christ. And so Lent and Easter will have its season, but we can't have Christmas without Easter. We can't have Easter without Christmas. And it's through that, it's believing in that, that the, that the prophet of, uh, of Isaiah came true, and he says this. Well, I'll just read it to you. It says, all that, well, okay, in Matthew it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And again, the prophet is Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Above all else, the fancy meals, the gifts, the Christmas cards, above all else, Christmas is about Emmanuel, about the prophet of Isaiah coming true to fruition, that our Savior Jesus was born through the virgin birth of Mary. And in this fancy Christian language, as I talked about when uh, I got up here, we call this the incarnation. The incarnation. And, and the incarnation is simply this. And the most simplest definition is to embody or become in the flesh. And, and so when we talk about the incarnate God, the incarnate Christ, what we're talking about is God came to earth through Jesus. And Jesus was the incarnate God. That Jesus embodied and became human flesh. That God did that. God became human flesh. God became embodied through Jesus to be with us, Emmanuel. And in John 1, we see that God becomes flesh and blood and again enters into human history. And I love the way it starts off. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Now, reading this plain text, it gets a, a little confusing um, because we don't actually always know, always know how to interpret this or what does it mean that the beginning was the word and all of a sudden the word was with God. And, and although this is very popular in, in Advent readings, I, the question is, what does this actually mean? And so for us to actually understand what this, mean, what, what this means, it's, it's important for us to go into the context of the first century. Uh, and so what I want to do is I want to give a few observations. And the first observation is this. John is writing to a very Jewish audience in this gospel. And, and so immediately when, when John starts off with, in the beginning, his audience would understand and know that it was a nod to Genesis 1, the creation story. And when the very beginning of the Bible, especially their Bible, the Torah, Genesis chapter 1, the very first verse of the first chapter, it says, in the beginning. Now, for those of you that are familiar with kind of uh, Bible literacy or the history of the Bible, we know that the New Testament was written in Greek and the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. But the very first translation of the Hebrew Bible, you have to understand it wasn't English. Surprise, surprise, it wasn't English. I know some of you guys are disappointed or shocked right now. It wasn't. But one of the very first translations of the Old Testament was in Greek. And, and so this book is called the Septuagint. The Septuagint is 
the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And why that's important here is that in the, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Genesis 1-1 is translated as NRK, NRK, which means in the beginning in Greek. And, and the only time it's ever used again is in John chapter 1, NRK, in the beginning. It's the same exact phrase in the translation. In the beginning. So when John was writing, he knew exactly what he was doing when he was writing to a Jewish audience. He was saying, I'm going to point back to the creation narrative. John was smart. John was writing and knew that he was writing to a Jewish audience. Second, God speaks this Hebrew word, Amar. So when John is going back to the creation narrative, we see all throughout when God was creating, that God spoke words. We may miss it when we read it too fast, but it says in the beginning, uh, God created Adam and Eve. God said, let there be humanity, and then there was humanity. God said, let there be light, then there was light. God said, let there be water, then there was water. God said, let there be vegetation, vegetation, and there was vegetation. See, in this Jewish understanding that John understood, John said, in the beginning, which points his audience to the creation story, and not only just to the creation story, but in the creation story when God said, when God spoke words. And the word amar, it means that God said, it's actually the words uttering words. That's the definition of what it said uh, of what it means when it said God said. It's very significant, but we miss it because we just say, oh, God said these things. But in the Jewish understanding, when someone says something, it's powerful. It creates, it gives power and authority. What God said brought life into the earth. It created the earth. That's how much power words had in the understanding of Jewish culture. See, words were believed to be an embodiment and a distinction. Meaning that as, as John was pointing people, the Jewish audience, back to the creation story, he was alluding to what God did. God said. And, and, and the things and the words that God said were distinct from him because there were words coming out, the words that God uttered, because that's what Amar means, words being uttered. These words were distinct from God, yet it was the same because it represented God's mind, God's thoughts, God's desire. So in this weird, uh, uh, divine, and somewhat mysterious way, the words that God spoke was both distinct from God and, both, and an embodiment of God. And the ancient audience, the Jewish audience, would understand exactly what John was trying to do. Exactly. And so it's no wonder in John chapter 1 it says, uh, in the beginning was the word. So when John was talking about the word, it was still at this point probably a little mysterious on what John meant. But what the audience knew is when John is using the word, the word, John was pointing to something powerful. 
something that created, something with authority, something that's on the same level as what God did in the creation narrative. That's, that was John's entire point. And in verse 14, John answers what the word is or who the word was. And the word was this. And the word became flesh. So what John is saying, the very thing I was talking about, the very thing I was alluding to uh, from the creation story, the very thing that has so much power to create, to give life, the word that God spoke, that word actually came to life. And how did it come to life? It came to life through flesh and lived among us. And we have seen God's glory through this word, the glory as of a father's son, full of grace and truth. John is talking about the person of Jesus. This is where many, uh, one of many places we get the theology of the Trinity. We get the theology of the preexistent Christ, meaning that Jesus uh, was in existence before even uh, the birth, that Jesus was with God through the beginning of time and then came to flesh uh, during what we would call Christmas, this Advent season. And I love just breaking this down because this is the, the center of the Advent promise. Emmanuel, God with us. And the good news is that Christ is with you. And it sounds so elementary. I, sometimes I struggle with giving these Advent talks because uh, at the heart of the Advent message is Emmanuel that, hey, God is with you. God is with you through the person of Jesus because Jesus was born, entered into this world, entered our lives, that our lives have changed because of that forevermore. That is the Christmas message. And it sounds so elementary, but the question is, do you actually believe that? And do you believe the God who had the power to create all things, from Genesis 1, created all things in this entire universe, do you believe that that God stepped into human history, into this world, through the person of Jesus, to be in relationship with people, with you and with me, with us? God is with us. Again, to meet us right where we are at. And there's something so special and significant and unique about that. Out of all of the major world religions, Christianity is the only religion where God isn't at a distance, but rather in intimacy, closeness with us, right where we are at. So do you need that power of Christ to meet with you wherever you are right now as you're sitting right here? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your loneliness? Is it in your itch for meaning and significance? Do you need Christ to meet you in your finances? Do you need, to, do you need Christ to meet you during this Christmas season where, again, we talk about for many it's joy, but for many others it's a season of darkness and lament. The same power that was spoken of, the word that brought life, that brought creation, that brought function out of chaos, that brought light into darkness, that same word came to life and that life 
is Jesus who wants to meet with you wherever you are today, right now. And this is the hopeful reminder for us this Advent. And and as we go into the season of knowing, Emmanuel, that God is with us no matter what you are going through, there's a few things I want to offer you. There's three things I want to offer you. And the first thing in light of the incarnate God is this. First, there's power found in Jesus. The, The Christmas story is all about Jesus meeting with you right where you're at it was the same motto that Young Life has and probably still has that uh, as people, as us, as leaders and volunteers, their role is to extend the presence of God to others, the power of Christ to others. In the moments of chaos and darkness and hopelessness and anger, loss, whatever life brings you, please know and be, right, be reminded more than ever that this Christmas season that there is power found in Jesus, that there is no story that you have that is more powerful than the life that Christ has to offer you. He says, all things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. In other words, God is in control. God created all things, and it's through God's authority that all things were created, and without God's permission, nothing was created. God is in control. There's nothing, nothing, nothing too big that God can't handle in your life. Nothing is out of God's control, no matter how desperate or how dire your circumstances might be. And my hope, more than ever, is that this season of Advent, that you would recognize that and know that and believe that more than ever because Christ is with us. And when Christ is with us, we find power through Jesus. Secondly, it's this. There's life found in Jesus. Now in Greek, when when there's this word life, there's two meanings of life, or two ma- major. There's, a lot, there's different ways to say life. And, and oftentimes in English and English translations, we use one word for all the above. But in the Jewish understanding, there's two aspects of life. One is bios. So you'll read in the Greek, bios. And it's where we get the word biology. And in biology, there's physical life, it's breathing, that's what life is about. When, when, when the Bible talks about bios, biology, it's just about us being physically alive, having breath, walking around, whatever it is. But then sometimes, uh, there's life referred to as zoe. And zoe is different from bios. Zoe is not just about living a physical life, it's not just about breathing, it's not just about being physically alive, but it's more than that. It's about living with God's best, living in total shalom, peace. And again, shalom, this word peace, is not just the absence of conflict, but it's the sense of harmony inside and out. It's living God's best in your life. 
It's about abundant life. When, when Jesus says that I have come to give you life, Zoe, and life to its fullest, uh, though that the thief may come to steal, kill, and destroy, I have come to give abundant life to you. And so God's message through Jesus is, I don't want you to just bios. I don't want you to just live. I don't want you to just walk around. I don't want you to just, just breathe and just be you. I want you to live the best life you can possibly live the most abundant life possible, and that is possible through Jesus. His birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. There is life found in Jesus. God wants to give you Zoe. God is for you not against you. And so many times, especially in this, I don't want to go there, but in this society, in this political climate, in this us versus them world, in this, uh, you know, such, such a divisive world, the message ha- has been hijacked on, on the presence of God and who God is and what God wants. And hear it from me. Please hear this from me. God is for you. God wants Zoe for you. God is not against you. God is not against you. How do I know that? What is the evidence of that? God entered into this world through Jesus. And get this, Jesus entered not as a king, not as a military force, not as his warrior, but came as an infant. And I love this part. And In the first century when they were waiting for a Messiah, they were waiting this was a real savior that they needed. I know oftentimes when we talk about savior, we're talking about someone that can save us, someone that can take us into heaven and that we can live in forever and forever and forever in heaven. And though this is all true and it's the life that we receive in and through Jesus in the first century when they talked about salvation, when they talked about being saved, it was actually through a circumstance. The Jews were under oppression of the Roman Empire. They were being uh, persecuted for their beliefs. And they were waiting for their Savior who would come uh, on a horse with military force to, to take down the Roman Empire, to take down Caesar. And yet the King, the Savior, the Lord that they received came not as a king, but as an infant to grow up in the world that We've grown up in a world that they've grown up, in a world that was known. To experience the heartaches, the joys, the sorrows, the love, the anger, everything that we've experienced, Christ has experienced. Because Jesus chose to come not as a king, not as a military force, but as, as a baby, And then would die on a cross the most humiliating way to be resurrected again that we may have life. And so not only does, can we find power in Jesus, that there's no event, there's no circumstances too big for God. There is also life where we can move from bios and to live a life that God has for us, the best life that God has for us. But we have to actually believe that God is for us, not against us. Will you believe that this morning, that God is for you, and the evidence of that is through Jesus, born as a baby, 
to experience the very things that we've experienced so that there may be a shift from sympathy to empathy, that everything we go through, that every heartache we feel, every goodness, every joy, that Jesus knows and can truly be with us. What has come into being in him was life, and life was the light of all people. That was the light, the life that God has for us. And lastly, remember this, that there is light found in Jesus. There's power found in Jesus, there's life found in Jesus, and there's light found in Jesus. As we read on, it says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. I mean, have you ever seen, I mean, this is a very good example here where we have this dark room, this dark room, and I bet even if these lights were turned off and we just had a a candle, it would light up this space. Maybe not the whole room, but it would light up this space right here. And when we talk about the power and the life that is found in Christ, we're also talking about the light that cannot be ignored. That even in our darkest moments, in any moment, that Christ's light will shine, will shine and have power to overcome darkness, will have power to create new life, will have power to overcome your circumstances, will have power to give you joy even in the most hopeless times. Because there's light found in Jesus. I don't know if you guys ever have done this as a kid or maybe even today. I still do this when I'm driving on the, driving on the freeway and, and maybe uh, there's a bridge and I do this when I cross the 90 all the time. You know, the tunnels off the 90. I'll drive and I'll hold my breath. And I'll hold my breath. I don't know if it's some superstition. I don't know if where I learned it from, but I heard it was good luck if you hold your breath while going through a tunnel. And for me now, it's just turned into a kind of like a self-competition. Like, can I hold my breath all the way through this tunnel? And there's two tunnels off the 90. One is super long, uh, and, and the other is doable. But the other one, the long one, I remember I'm just driving, I'm going through, I'm holding my breath, and I enter into this tunnel, and it's dark, as it's tunnel, some headlights, but it's still dark. I'm going through this tunnel, and I'm starting to run out of air, because, you know, like, the tunnel is long, and so I'm holding my breath. And I'm holding it, I'm holding it, and, and I don't know, I'm pretty competitive. I may just hold my breath until I collapse, I, but I hope never to do that. But I'm holding my breath, knowing that at any second now, my breath is going to run out, and I'm going to have to give up, and I'm going to have bad luck forever. I don't know what the consequences are, but I just know that I don't want to let go, but I have to. And yet, out of nowhere, you see this speck of light. You see this speck of light, and you're like, you know what? I can hold on. I'm going to do it. And lo and behold, I go through, and, and I finally catch my breath, and I'm by myself. I bet those camera out look ridiculous, but I'm done driving through the tunnel, and I'm like huffing and puffing, but yet I know that I made it. And I'm so proud of myself. Thank you for being proud of me as well. 
But it reminds me of this ever so adage that we have is like, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And for me, that is an experience that I actually have when I go to the tunnel, holding my breath, I see the light and suddenly it gives me strength to hold on and to keep going and give me hope because I know that I'm going to win once I reach the end of the tunnel. And I wonder if the Christian life is the same way. Because remember, as we talked about in weeks after weeks in our last series, that the Christian life does not guarantee a perfect life. I'm sorry to tell you, uh, giving our lives to Christ does not mean that suffering will end, that anxiety will end, that depression will end. None of that will end, but in the midst of that, what the promise is, is that Christ is with you in the midst of that. And because of that, we have hope. And, And because of that, we know that whatever darkness or tunnel that we're living in will never, ever, ever have the end of the story. We'll never, ever, ever have the last word because there will always, always, always be the light at the end of the tunnel. And so will you believe that with me, my friends, that whatever you're going through, whatever tunnel that you might be in, know that, yes, there's power in Christ. There's life in Christ, that God wants only the best for you, and lastly, that whatever you're going through will come to an end. That's the promise. That's not just being trivial. That's not giving you platitudes like, hey, don't worry, it's going to be all better. Hey, don't, don't worry, it's for the best, or, or whatever platitudes that we give each other. That is the Christian hope. That is the hope that we find in Jesus, who comes into and breaks into this earth, our life, to say, guess what? You will find power, you will find life, and at the end of the story, you will find me. No matter what. And so will you believe that with me, my friends, for yourself, for the people around you, that Christmas is good news, that the birth of Jesus is good news, because the birth of Jesus is the power that created all things brought into life. That Jesus is the incarnate God. That God loved you and me so much that God sent his one and only son, John 3, 16, his one and only son to be with us. And for some of us this morning, we need, well, we desperately need that power. Because right now, we're we're doubtful. We're so overcome with fear. We're so overcome with anxiety. We're so overcome with our circumstances, whatever it is. Maybe it's even for somebody else that we're so overcome with that darkness that we just need, we need to believe that God has the power, just like God had the power to create the entire universe, that God would use that power through Jesus to come into our circumstances. And maybe some of us this morning, we need Desperately, that power that is found in Christ. And for some of us, we need that life. That we look at our circumstances and we say, is God really for me? Does God really love me? I read the Bible and I know what people tell me, that God loves me and never leaves me and never forsake me. But my circumstances, my life does not prove of that. And for some of us, and this is me often, that we have to be reminded that no matter what, that God is for you, God is with you, and God wants you to live a Zoe kind of life. And for some of us, we're in that tunnel. We're in that tunnel. That light is there, my friends. Whether you see it or not, that light is coming. 
you might be holding your breath, you might be running out of air, you might be overcome with the darkness of the tunnel, but the light is there. We even have a practical way you can enter into that. We have a representative from Stephen's ministry. If you don't know what Stephen's ministry is, it's, it's people that are trained to not necessarily be your therapist, but be with you in moments of crisis and moments of pain and lament and loss. And, and if that's you this season, will you go to the Connect table and, and meet with our Stephen's ministry representative to either A, be a Stephen's minister, or to be appointed one in this season? Because remember, because we have experienced the power, uh, the life, and the light of Jesus, we have an obligation then to be light to others. And so the question, as I invite the band back up, as we reflect, there's two questions. There's one, where do you need Jesus? Where do you need Christ to just invade your life? Because just like Christ invaded uh, our world, this earth, Christ will invade your life, will move into your neighborhood, into your hearts, and make the changes and the healing and the hope that he needs to. Secondly, where do you need to be the presence of Christ? Who needs the presence of Christ in your life? Who needs the power of Christ, the life of Christ, the light of Christ? Will you be that? If there's a chain of incarnation, Jesus came through God, as God, as human. And when Jesus left, he leaves his Holy Spirit to be in us so that we may then be the incarnate Christ. That Christ lives within us, in us, and because of that we can be Christ to others. Are there people hurting in the midst of you? Are there people scared? Are there people running? Will you offer them Christ? Will you offer them Christ? Let's pray. God, thank you that you came to be with us. And because of that, that changes our whole lives. That brings us hope, transformation, forgiveness, joy. receive that with open hands and open arms. May we give that away freely to others. We thank you. We celebrate you. We honor you. We give our lives to you. And we're able to do that because you gave your life to us. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's continue in song.